This is the Mentor My Mix podcast. I'm Greg Gordon, and I'll be your host as we explore the world of music production from both a producer and educator's perspective. Mentor My Mix goes behind the scenes to reveal the skills, talents, and business smarts needed to make a living as both a producer and educator in today's music business. Brought to you by Pyramind, America's premier electronic music production school and drawing from its extensive network of producers and trainers. Mentor My Mix seeks to explore what makes for a great producer and educator and the chance to get to know what makes them tick, both as everyday people and their passion for making music their lives. Today, I feel very fortunate to have as my guest, Ken Felton, audio director, sound designer, with decades of experience in multiple professional audio industries, but really most notably, and this is how I got to know you, Ken, the the Bay Area game audio business here, right? You've been here in the Bay Area for how long now? Long time, uh, mid, mid-90s. Yeah. Mid-90s. I'm a California kid, um, but uh, I moved back up to the Bay Area yeah, but you cut your teeth uh, in the audio industry down south I did. in L.A. Um, so give our listeners just a little sense of your background and how that happened, because it's always fascinating to hear the stories behind how people get to where they are in this business, especially making the jump into the game audio industry from the music business where you got your start down in L.A. Right. Well, uh, the reality, uh, the, the, the truth of the matter is... Um, I, I was a terrible musician, but I really enjoyed being in the, in, you know, in the concert arena and being with, with the creative people. Um, so I started doing live sound, mm-hmm. um, and at some point I, I realized I liked doing that. And um, I went to a trade school, uh, one of the very first audio recording trade schools that was down in LA. It's called Sound Master Recording Arts, Brian and Barbara, and mm-hmm. uh, that was a great experience. From that, it got me a gig at the local sound company, and then I was a national touring sound company. So I started doing a lot of live shows, and that was that was great. Um, did that for I don't know two years, three years. That led to a gig down in Orange County. Uh, I did a, a new theater was opening up in the Round Theater, not far from Disneyland, mm-hmm. and I did a couple productions, a couple Broadway-style productions, and that was entertaining and interesting because I'd never done that before. Yeah, I, I love theater sound. I, I have I had a background in theater sound as well coming out of San Francisco State. Really? And running shows, yeah, right here in San Francisco. I ran some very long-standing shows here in San Francisco. Oh, what's Side that? by Side by Sondheim. Okay. Uh, and Greater Tuna. Oh, wow. At, at the Mason Street Theater. Uh, so I, I did some stints doing uh, sound design and running those shows. Oh. So I, I know I know a lot about theater sound as well. I would, I would love to talk to you about that because I didn't do it for very long. I, I liked it and I can now, in, in hindsight, I you know have some friends who've done it and, and I've talked to some colleagues who you know had a that was their degree that you know like yeah from uh, yeah from carnegie mellon i uh-huh. think i uh, had a, a the audio director over at um at Suck, uh, sledgehammer now it came out of that business yeah well I, th- I think that business if you get involved in doing sound design for live performance theater really gives you um some serious chops uh to be able to pull that off and then translating that obviously into the career footsteps that you went sure. into yeah well i mean the reality is it, it's just a different type of storytelling right but you're you're still telling a story of course of course um and and i have to say i i still love that stuff my wife um before the pandemic hit we would uh go um we would go to uh uh to berkeley we uh we had a a get tickets to berkeley rep 
And I was always so fascinated by the staging and the sound and uh-huh. everything they do there. It was brilliant. Anyway, but moving along. Yeah. That's what got me back down to LA. Um, and from there, I got a gig as a runner at a recording studio. And then I stayed in the recording studio business for four or five years. And then that led to, and I was telling you this earlier, because I uh, I was good at punching, um, you know, analog punchings and, and out. On so those four years in the studio with all those artists, late nights in the studio yep. with the artists. Yep. Uh-huh. And Lots. you were the, you were the one with the trigger finger. I huh? was I was punching, you know, uh-huh. syllables and punching punching eighth notes definitely on uh-huh. the on the old Studer eight hundred there or the Mitsubishi, you know, thirty two track or the Sony twenty four tracks. Uh-huh. Anyway, um, what a, that must have been an amazing experience. It was. It was. Uh-huh. I worked with. I was so lucky to work with so many great talented you know performers engineers producers it it was really uh-huh. wonderful yeah um anyway that led to because i knew the a console and because i could punch that led to a gig over at universal studios on the film lot uh, wow on the scoring stage who knew exactly uh-huh um, well friends of friends and and they had a very uh interesting console a neve 8128 at uh, studio 55 where i worked and then they had one on the scoring stage and so that got me in so that helped just knowing that format, knowing that console. Knowing that console it was a really uh-huh. it was a good sounding console. It uh-huh. was it was it's a good console still, but it uh, it was a little quirky. So um, having somebody who was very familiar with it helped me. So that got me into the uh, into the, the post production business over there. I worked on the scoring stage, and then I got lucky and was offered a, a gig doing editorial, which I literally didn't even know what that was. But some very smart, talented people showed me the ropes of how. So, to- so for our listeners here who might not know, yep, what was editorial? Editorial is the sound effect part of it. Uh-huh. Uh, I started laying in uh, backgrounds onto analog tape that was still in the analog days, right towards the end. Um, Pro Tools, I, I did work with a guy who was starting to work with early DigiDesign products at that point, but it was still, for me, it was still all a, a laying back stuff to to analog tape. And then- You were sourcing sound effects libraries on CDs, I'm pretty guessing? Pretty much on CDs, uh-huh. yeah. And then coming up with the other stuff, um, we had a CD library, we then had an EMU um sampler the emulator two emulator two sampler Uh and we had a whole bunch of libraries that were then on um optical drives and we load that stuff in Uh and i was pretty much working on tv shows there was a lot of tv shows uh universal or uh yeah was doing at that time a few movies came through but i i didn't how do i say this i didn't do a lot of high profile stuff it was tv shows it was it was this and that and laying in backgrounds and coming up with some hard effects and i enjoyed it and i I worked with some really talented people were you able at that time to do any custom sound design was that part of it it was definitely foley or anything like that um, not foley unfortunately Uh i would Uh have loved that Uh um but i was able to do custom sound design again there was Uh uh TV shows here and there, and you had to come up with something. I don't remember. I, the one that remind, uh, comes to mind is there was a. Uh, do you remember the movie Weird Science? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I there was, yeah. they had a TV show uh-huh. based on that movie for a while, and uh-huh. that that came through. And so I worked on that for a long time. And so I remember when that that was wasn't that the late eighties when that came out, or was no, that early nineties? Early nineties, early nineties. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, at least for the TV show. Uh huh. And I specifically remember something, somebody telling me, oh, you got to have a this over-the-top kind of exaggerated sound for, you know, an inferno when the oven opens up. And I I literally couldn't figure out how to do that. And then, you know, emu this and CD library that and pitch this and tweak that and use the, um, oh, God, oh, the SPX-90. You remember the oh, SPX-90? Of course, the Yamaha SPX-90. That's right. How could I forget? And the SPX-92. That's right. So <laughs> yeah. anyway, that was good training for me uh-huh. um, in, in a very traditional format. Also, it... it um, exposed me to working in Dolby 
uh, Dolby surround. Mm. Um, you know, the, the analog, you know, face shift, you mm -hmm. know, two channel Dolby surround. Mm -hmm. Um, and I got familiar with that. Um, then when I came up to the Bay area in 94 to get married, um, that's what kind of got me a gig over at electronic arts. Um, so wait, but you came up to the Bay area um, from what I recall, much to many of your friends telling you not to, and if you wanted to work in, because you kept saying you wanted to work in film and post. I, I enjoyed film and post uh, <laughs> for, for a lot of reasons, and I talked to people before I left LA and said, hey, this is what I'm going to do, you know, moving for love, and they all said, oh, that's great, what a bad idea, because there's no film and television work up in the Bay Area. And uh -huh. like, oh, okay, all right, and uh -huh. they were absolutely right. Uh -huh. um, so that led me to, though, um, going to talking to the people who, you know, where there was some film sound going on. That was, um, the fantasy, was building. fantasy building yep. over in mm -hmm. Berkeley. Saul's ants. Exactly. So uh -huh. I talked to, to Roy over there and he confirmed, it's like, yeah, you know, the, the film and television stuff up here, it's pretty tight. Um, the people who are doing it have been doing it. And when they die, their brother or their son or their daughter is going to do it. Cause <laughs> it was just a very tight knit group and mm -hmm. virtually impossible to break in. I was like, oh, all right. He said, well, what you should do is go over and talk to Murray Allen, mm -hmm. go over to electronic arts and talk to Murray Allen. And they're doing a multimedia. And I said, what's multimedia? Mm -hmm. He said, well, I'm not really sure either, but go talk to Murray. <laughs> so I talked to Murray. He was very nice. He gave me an interview and we talked about music stuff. We, Murray was in, well, Murray story. was originally from Chicago. Murray right? Murray created Universal uh -huh. Recorders in Chicago. Uh -huh. He and partner, and he built that up from a small place to I think they had four buildings at one point, mm -hmm. and they were doing jingles. It was all Colorado ad work. Or, That's yeah, right. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Chicago was the was all about ad work. Mm -hmm. So Murray and Murray was you know I think he was a president of the National uh, American AES group at some point. Anyway, he was very involved with the AES and with um I think he was a founder in Naris too. The um, what does that stand for? National Academy yeah. of Recording Arts and Sciences. Exactly. Uh huh. Um, that's so, the folks who do the Grammys. That's exactly right. Right. So Murray and Murray was the audio director on the Grammys for many, many years. Uh huh. Um, anyway, Murray. I met Murray. He was great, and we talked music biz. We talked tube microphones and compressors and mic and you know digital tape machines and analog. And we had a great old time. And there was no work for me at that point. It's like, all right, well, thanks, Murray. It was great. I went, and got married, came back. There was a message on my machine from Murray. Um, he said, you know, I, I might have something. I need somebody. Uh, one of my mixers, has, he's got a baby coming. I, we got this project. I need somebody to come in here, somebody who knows some Dolby surround mixing, and I need you to help us out. I was like, great. So I did that. Turns out the project was Wing Commander 3, which was an interactive movie. It was a PC game. Um, and it had Mark Hamill and a whole bunch of other actors. John Reese davies was in it. Anyway, it was a big big beast of a project and we were mixing on adat the, mm. the source was on adat and oh we were mixing literally uh -huh. mixing through you know the the dolby um uh seu4 the encoder and and monitoring back to the decoder and um and so i started doing that and the project went on for months and it was great and then um tony the the guy i was filling in for he came back and they offered me some more contract work and at some point they decided they'd hire me, mm -hmm. um, which was awesome. And they, all the people I worked with there, again, Don Vecca, guys like Rob Hubbard, David Whitaker, Mark Farley, they were all great. Yeah. And I was really fortunate. Kind of legendary in a way, you no, know? Very much so. Right. Um, oh, that puts you, it puts you in some pretty good company. I and say. they were great to me because uh -huh. I had no clue about interactive audio. I had zero. It, uh -huh. I was a linear guy, right? I mean, right. I'd always been running tape. 
And so over the years, they showed me this and showed me that. And eventually, um, I started to, to figure out the interactive thing. And I started working on various projects there at, at EA, uh, lots of sports titles to begin with. Um, and at some point, the whole central... For those... Wait, wait yeah. just one sec. For those listening, when you said figure out the interactive thing, yeah, what was the biggest thing for you to wrap your head around? Because now, I mean, it's part of our curriculum. Yeah. We have all these middleware tools. Um, it's become, it's evolved so much from when you first started in the industry. But come thinking back on that time, what what was what was it that you really, you know, felt? I got to really figure this out. And what was it that kind of pushed you over the edge there? Yeah the the concept, which again seems simple now, was was granular sound design. Was was creating a sound event. Mm-hmm out of multiple sounds and playing them all at once and delaying this and pitching that and that that whole concept of of having individual bite-sized pieces that makes a much larger you know sound and and that was again totally foreign to me uh-huh. um, because i didn't really i didn't have a musical background but wait what about that is really interactive i mean i get that from a sound design perspective mm-hmm. but at, at what point does it become interactive there well it becomes interactive because um the concept of, of having an event that, you know, an event like a medium car crash um, and, and creating that car crash feel different layers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and each layer has different elements in it. And so every time you play that event, that medium car crash, it's going to sound different because each, each of the four or five layers has five or six or more different, different. Right. Samples built so in. it's triggering those samples at different rates, different volumes. Exactly. Or different, and that, yeah. that part where you, you add in that randomness and you say, you know, you pick, roll the dice and pick sample four or sample eight sure that, now we can do that in f mod and that's a whole lot easier that, that's a whole nother story uh-huh. Greg, of how yeah. that that concept happened but that that concept of of here's an audio event and you don't have to in pro tools or you know ableton or whatever you don't have to create one sample mm-hmm. that is let's say four seconds long or mm-hmm. five seconds long for that car crash you don't have to do that and create one complex sample and mix all these elements you can you can create it and in fact you need to create it on the fly mm-hmm. because way back then when you were doing sound for the ps1 um you know the ps1 had all of 512k of memory for your right. sound effects, right yeah and so you couldn't put if you put a five second car crash um you know even though it was probably going to be at 22k and you're going to have the, the 3.5 to 1 vag compression data compression on that stuff still you couldn't do that you would eat up all your memory you would mm-hmm. never get your, your game made mm-hmm. um so the the granular approach um at some point the light bulb went off again after being talked to and told and, and demoed by all these really smart people like rob hubbard and don vecca um you know it finally went off and that was that was the key for me it's like oh i get it i mm-hmm. get it now mm-hmm. you can you know you can reuse that sound and and that's another thing that that you know I, the concept was um and this happened when i a big part of it when i went to um sony and started working with some of the great people there um one of the projects that we worked there that we kind of owned was the socom franchise so, oh right with all the military exactly sounds. And, mm-hmm. and it wasn't a simulation but um the sound designer the main lead on that was nate brenhold and um, Nate really was organized, and, and we really wanted to have one weapon sound very different from another weapon. Um, but again, we were working on the, to begin with, they were working on the PS2. Um, and so you just couldn't 
have unique sounds for every single unique weapon. So a lot of the sounds, there was a, there's a core weapon bank, mm-hmm. and those sounds get reused. And again, there's a there's a the light bulb went off at some point before it's so calm, but it's like oh, I that that big low impact, I can use that for a dozen things. I can use that for two dozen things right. as an element as the base layer mm-hmm. in this car crash or this you know body fall or this explosion or this whatever. And and so that was what kind of the light bulb went off and it's like, oh, I get it, I get it. And now you start working down towards with that concept of, of granular granular sounds and, um, and reusing this to save memory and being optimized and working with your programmers to say, well, what if we can take that one element, that one car, that one weapon, and we don't have to load that in memory. We can keep that on the disk until we until we need it until the guy and then we bring it in. And so with with support from your your engineering team, you could you could get you know twelve hours worth of worth of gameplay out of you know maybe thirty seconds worth of actual sound, it, which is and bizarre. that always fascinates me because it seems that when faced with limitations, yeah. It's when we almost become the most creative. When there's Sometimes. no limits, you know, you can just push and push and Sometimes. push, and you can swim in that for days and months and years. But with these limits, you're forced to actually really create uh, layers and, and tool sets and the ability to manipulate data sizes um, to make things work. And that's fascinating. Yeah. I've always, I've, and I've been under, you know, I've worked on projects as well, obviously, in many, many game audio projects sure. and understand those dynamics that are at play. And obviously now memory limitations have been vastly altered. <laughs> that's true. There, you have a lot more to play with, but I'll, I'll the games are a lot larger as well. Exactly. And everybody is expecting higher fidelity. Right. So yes, the 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 canvas, the size of the canvas has expanded, but what you need to put on the canvas has also expanded. So Correct. you're still you still need to be smart, you still need to be efficient and and manage your your memory and your resources very as, as well as you can. Oh yeah, of course. So so going back to EA yeah. for just a moment, you were at EA, EA for how long? Long time, 12 years. 12 years. Just about. That's a long time to work That's for a company. That's a long time. Yeah. And 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 I was it was good because well, yeah, it was it was good. I came in pretty small sound team we were a central service so we worked on multiple games Uh um we worked on madden we worked on the sports this and the and the the uh oh what was the the sci-fi alien game we worked on all of them to some degree that was my actually my first experience working with ea was the madden series working with rob hubbard yeah doing sound design for him a bunch of football samples and syncing up football samples to to digital video images that we had to like use time code oh interesting to do yeah and then providing him with all those sound design elements on a hard drive oh cool i'll never forget meeting him in his little office there with his keyboards and yeah. you know, he had a Kurzweil in there and, yeah. and it was a little room too. I was surprised, you know, it wasn't that big a space. I wonder which, I, I don't remember that. I wonder which, which building that was. It's, it's not important. It's like, but, uh, was it in Redwood city or? It was, or in oh, Foss- oh, oh, maybe, maybe you, when we, that was when we moved to Redwood Shores. Maybe so. Cause originally we were in San Mateo over by the Bridgepoint shopping center. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It was, a long, um, it was quite a few years back. But now. Rob, Rob was, Oh, Rob's a character. I miss. Oh, what I a character! Yeah, he's so smart and uh-huh. so. Him and Murray Allen were quite a team. I felt like they were incredible. They were he and uh-huh. Murray, uh-huh. Rob and Murray and Don. Uh huh. Um, there's there's a lot of stories that we shouldn't tell right now, but, but <laughs> they involved uh, they involved Grappa uh-huh. and um and and late nights and uh-huh. yeah, some good good stuff. Well, when you work that hard, yeah, 
because we all, you know, obviously that, you know, EA had a reputation for a long time, just in terms of the amount of hours that you yeah. had to grind to get these projects through on their deadlines. Right. It was, it was a, it was a bad reputation and it was well-deserved and that's, yeah. Um, it, it, it's getting, I think it's better, but I don't know. I haven't been there for a while, but, um, of course but the game business in general has that, has that reputation. And, and again, a lot of it is, is right on, um, but that's a different that's a different story. <laughs> of course, yeah. I, I, I'm not meaning to dwell on that story, but I think it's it's important that people understand that that is a phenomenon. It's a function of this industry. It's a real, thing. especially when you have such huge projects and such serious deadlines to meet yep. um, across deliverables, uh, not only of content for development, but also for final product to get published. And and you know the the reality too, Greg is. Um, you know, I didn't see my family for, you know, for week, many weekends and late nights. And, you know, I, I remember very clearly I had my first, we had our first son and I was working, believe it or not, I was working on the golf project. And I remember this very clearly of, um, going home and having dinner and helping put the boy to bed and then going back for another three or four hours to, to the office. And I didn't wow. live that far away. And, mm -hmm. and that was pretty normal. You just had to get it done. Mm -hmm. And, and but I should also say that some some great memories came out of that. And I still have relationships with all those people. Right. Um, so you know you 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 know under fire you you create, create relationships and, yeah. and there are bonds that are that are made and those those have stuck around. So yeah, I, I don't I wouldn't recommend you know eighty hour weeks for months on end to anybody. But um, uh, I, I'm not complaining at this point. It, it you know. I, I, EA was good to me in, in many ways. Yeah. Now, were you involved in the development of their studios and all? Because I know they they did some serious studio yeah, development. Well, I was involved in part of it, but again, that was Murray. Murray was still in the picture when we moved from uh, Bridgepoint over to Redwood Shores, mm -hmm. and those studios were built. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, I was. I talked to Murray about it, but it was pretty much Murray's baby. Mm -hmm. um, and these rooms were great. They still sound great. Oh, I'm sure. I, I haven't been there in a long yeah. time, but um, we ended up ended up you know he he was great about um getting people to to do what we needed to do as far as hvac and you know floating floors and and cutting slabs and for isolation and i remember the vo booth that we that we had there off of studio b um i believe it has a, a noise floor it had a noise floor of like below nc20 um it was i believe it was like nc16 or something like wow that, which yeah. is just unheard of right yeah um, it's incredible and uh yeah murray that was all murray but yeah, good <laughs> well, So now you moved over to Sony in yeah. 2006, Six, yeah. right? And what, what, what pulled you over there? Um, to be honest, they recruited me uh -huh. and, um, that must've felt good. It did. Yeah. It did. Uh -huh. Um, it was, it felt good. And, uh, to be, again, to be brutally honest, that was a point in time where I was tired. Uh, I just finished, although it was the best project I ever worked on. And I'm pretty much very proud of the, of the the project which was the godfather project oh yeah um, it was a big project a high profile um super important to the company and i'm proud that you know it started with just me and we did early early prototypes and and, early and what was your title on that project i was the yeah. audio director on that okay and and so it started from just me and then i hired some interns and we ended up you know by the end of it we had a team of like 10 people mm -hmm. including you know um music implementation music implementation um lead sound designer a another sound designer two dialogue people audio programmers um it, it was oh and, and cinematics somebody i had cin mixing cinematics too so 
I was proud because I built that team and we did a great job. And we, for me, I think that game, that was an open world game, mm-hmm. which brings a whole nother set of, of game audio challenges sure. um, that, you know, we don't necessarily have to go into, but, you know, you basically talked about um, having uh, engineering support and, and that's really important on a game like that because you can get in a car, you can, at any time, you, your character can carjack, take this thing and drive to any part of the, of the city that you wanted to. And so you had to have a situ- situation where you could always support that with, with sounds and memory mm-hmm. um, or sound streaming. And uh, so that was that was key. So yeah, I, I was very happy to be on that project. It was a great um, experience. Now that was an early PS project, so that was still PS One. That was PS Two. Oh, it was PS Two. Okay, it was PS Two. Right. And then when that finished, PS Three uh-huh. um, was just getting going, or, or hadn't been released yet when I when I left uh, EA and went to Sony. But um, but yeah, we we fit a lot into into that. Well, that was interesting. I'll spin off there we did the ps2 and we did the xbox and then the xbox was it the 360 the second generation xbox yep. came out and so we did a different version of that mm-hmm. and all of a sudden i had all we you know we instead of two megs of of ram plus a little bit more um i had a lot of ram mm-hmm. and what was most interesting was again a kind of a, a light bulb went off when i started to play basically we, we got it working on the xbox 360 and i my same sound banks and all the stuff that i had was started to play over there and the game sounded completely different mm. absolutely it was like what what is this i don't i don't get it mm-hmm. turns out that oh and and sorry and the other thing i did was i knew i had more ram so i went back and i i upsampled everything or i, or I basically instead of having it automatically cut things off at 22k or 11k mm-hmm. um excuse me i um i basically upsampled a whole bunch of stuff and and thought i would make it sound better and in many cases it did but it also changed the complete sound of the game because mm, i mm-hmm. now i had i had frequencies above above 5k right i had oh of course and so so all uh-huh. these different events that we talked about before um uh, weapons um car crashes car engines um impacts uh, i had to basically remix all that or or change content because now um, the the frequency response, the way it sounded, the, the the sound event was completely different because I could hear all these different frequencies that that were getting masked or basically filtered out um, when I had to do all these horrible things to the sounds. Um, so did you regret upsampling them? At no, that point? I never regretted it because, <laughs> because you just just basically retweaked things, uh-huh. um, rebalanced this, or swapped that piece of content out. Um, in many cases, it was a piece of like I don't know, like a glass break or something that worked just fine on the PS2, uh-huh. but when you changed the data compression type which the xbox 360 did and you upsampled it uh or you basically took it all the way up to 45 or, or i mean 44 or 48k um all of a sudden it's like whoa what happened that sounds that sounds way different i don't like that anymore so you right. swap it out so what does it mean when to mix a game like that because i'm sure mm-hmm. there's plenty of listeners here who who might be wondering when you talk about remixing them in a game talk a little bit about that what, well, what's in, involved in that in that specific in that specific situation, I meant by remix, I meant more of an event, let's say a certain weapon. Mm-hmm. Um, and that certain weapon on the PS2. So you're not talking about remixing it in the audio engine at that point? I am. I'm talking yeah, about I'm talking about I remixing an event and rebalancing the sounds that are in there. Let's say the shotgun, this giant shotgun had six elements in it. Mm-hmm. Right? And uh, that shotgun would have been made by... You know, some kind of low frequency thump, 
um, and maybe a crack of, you know, maybe it's a real shotgun and maybe some other um, synthesized sounds and something just to make it super extreme. Um, but on the PS2, there's probably nothing that was over, you know, it was probably downsampled to 22K and, and you know, VAG compressed. And you change the volume of this and you tweak that and you add this content to make it sound the way you wanted it or make it sound hopefully impactful and, and interesting um, on the PS2. And then on the, on the Xbox, it sound those same sounds played at those same relative volumes completely sounded different. So mm -hmm. you swap things out. So I did all that mm -hmm. um, for different elements. Some things that were less complex converted over and they, they sounded pretty much like they did on the, on the uh, PS2. But then, I think there's a different question, which is how do you remix a game or how do you mix a game? Sure. Yeah. Which is a much bigger question. Um, <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> mix, mixing a game is, uh, there are certainly, depending on the cool tools you're using, there are certainly, you know, there's lots of elements. You, you put um, different mix templates in, right? You, you change your mix, um, your mix snapshots and you can transition from this snapshot to that snapshot. And, you know, depending on the game mode, let's say there's a, I don't know, you're a, you're doing a, a superhero game and the superhero dies. Um, well, now all of a sudden you're in a player death state, right? And so you, boom, you change the mix and, and your, your software changes and puts a different mix template on there. And so now you're, these ethereal sounds <clears throat> all of a sudden come up and, and, you want it to sound like you're swimming or you're, you're underwater all of a sudden. And, um, and maybe you, your, your mixed state also changes the filters. You start to do a low pass on everything to again, support this death state, right? Mm -hmm. Darker, um, darker state. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So that that's part of the remix. Certainly that that's a fun part. Um, but the other part that for doing a game that you have to think about is you can't just sit down the games are too big. Well, how do I put this? The games are too big to wait until everything's working. Um, you have to start working on, you know, the first level when it's when it's done, and you know it's never going to be done until you know really late in the process. So I guess what I'm saying is that the the mix process doesn't just involve um, tweaking this and and you know fine tuning that and bumping this down by three dB and that by two dB. Um, it involves a a time frame it involves the rest of the team uh -huh. because you have to have a product um a, a game that is playable um but so you you have to be able to go to the to finish this mission and have the game properly transition back to the um back to the the, the the home base if you will before you can choose your next mission and so all those things the home base <clears throat> the home base might have its own sound um and if you can't transition back to that then it's hard to make decisions in the in the actual gameplay mission about what should how you should finish that up. It, it's hard to make those final decisions until you can transition properly back to the home base and then from the home base into the next mission. Um, so the, the mixing of a game is a is a long. Typically, it's a it's a fairly long process. Mm -hmm. Ideally, in a perfect situation, everything's working. Mm -hmm. There's very few bugs. Mm -hmm. um, and and that's the other thing is is bugs. Your audio sometimes there's there's audio bugs, and then sure. you're mixing the game and you have to say, okay, well. I know that's not right, but we can't fix it because this is a bug. Let's move on. Let's let's make good notes. Let's put that into our our project management, um, you know, bug tracking database or our task tracking database, and let's you know move on. And, and so it's a the mixing of a game is a a, a multi headed beast. You've got the, you've got this the subjective part. You've got the time frame, and you've got um, you've got the the reality of of where the where the game is, whether it's whether it's working or not. 
Right, and of course, it, it's going to depend also on <clears throat> on the uh, the platform and and the audio yeah. engine that's being used. <clears throat> well, and hopefully, hopefully that stuff. Hopefully, the audio engine and mm -hmm. the platform. Hopefully, that foundation mm -hmm. is is working. But sometimes, well, it's sure, not. sure, yeah. It, uh -huh. the, the where that comes in, Greg, is um, if you've ever and I did this, um, I did this three times at Sony. Um, you're creating a product that's on the on a, a launch title for a new a new platform mm, so mm -hmm, we mm -hmm. did that on the ps3 we did it on the um the playstation vita and we did it for the ps4 mm -hmm. um and that is a situation where the ground is moving underneath you mm -hmm. because you're working on your game and everybody's working on the platform and the and the operating system and oh we're rolling out you know the the os 9.14 and all the stuff that was working last week with 9.14 one zero suddenly breaks uh, and uh -huh. now you're now you're in a situation where you're trying to you can't work on the game because it's completely broken and engineers people who are way smarter than me they're working really hard to to get these things all patched back together and get what was working you know working again and and then the new features working as well and that puts you as me as an audio director into a situation where all right, we can't actually put sounds in the game and hear them anymore. What can we do? What what can I do? How, what can I talk to my team about doing where we're still making progress, and we're we're still able to to work on content. We're able to record this and edit that and do sound design or prototype this, um, and and keep making progress in some way when you actually can't work on the game. Well, you can work on the assets. You right? can work, you on, the assets work and you, on the assets, and you can work on other pro, like I said, prototypes uh -huh. or things that don't involve the actual gameplay. Or, right. You know, this mission leading into that mission um, and that speaks a lot to being a really good team leader right if you've got a team yeah. understanding what your resources are understanding who the players are and how to best use them that's true given any circumstance that's you right. got you got to be nimble you have to be agile yeah, yeah. So that's uh -huh. the, that's the agile. game that's the that's game, the term, game right? term right um you need to be agile uh -huh. and um i don't know I, I probably shouldn't say this but um audio is not the only the only department they're not the only the only you know oh, of course group yeah. who's, who's dealing with all that too uh -huh. so everybody's in the same boat which is yeah which is hurry up and wait and oh mm -hmm. my god we've got all this stuff to do and e3 is in a month and mm -hmm. we can't do anything right now yeah well, the sky is falling it's like oh hold on hold on we can uh -huh. make progress here and we can do that uh -huh. and you know on thursday when when the engineering team gets everything hooked back up to the way it should um we'll be in better place than we are right now so you just have to stay calm and Keep a positive outlook, and yes, try to try to talk people off the edge sometimes. <laughs> now, obviously, Godfather was a, a, a was a big title for you, but you worked on many big titles over at Sony, huh? At Sony, yeah, yeah. we we worked on. Like I mentioned SOCOM. That was that was going when I got there, and again, Nate was the the lead on that, and we did a lot of different uh, projects with SOCOM because you know once you get a su successful franchise, right? The publisher wants one, two, to three, four, that. five, exactly. et cetera. Uh huh. Different. different everything uh -huh. so that was really cool we were very proud of that and the way the way it worked at sony was the northern california guys um, we had our own team and we took care of some of the projects that or the projects that were pretty much based out of northern california although for a long time there was n there was not a developer in-house at sony everything was an outside developer so we always supported those those teams um in whatever way they needed it and as a service group some projects we would do everything mm -hmm. and another project i'm really proud of is the the sly cooper remake oh yeah it's for ps3 uh-huh that was greg debeer led that yeah and um it sounded great it's a great game it didn't sell as well as we wanted to but it was still a really quality game and, and definitely in the spirit of the early sucker punch projects um and we did everything on that that developer 
they had no audio support. They they had done a few small things with audio with VO, but we basically came in and we became their audio team. Um, same thing with SOCOM. We did a lot of it, but they had some people there. They had a, a, a two or three people up at up at Zipper, and so we supported them. And they they ran it, but we we were their support. And then other projects, um, some of the bigger projects at Sony, like the Naughty Dog projects, um, uh, Uncharted and The Last of Us, and some of the other ones. We supported those projects, although we weren't the lead, if you will. It was the Southern California people who were the lead. And in right. the end and of the it- the Santa Monica team. Exactly. Sony Santa Monica, And right? they, they uh -huh. provided most of the support, but uh -huh. you know, in the end, in the final big push, um, a game as important to Sony as Uncharted 3 or 4 or whatever, um, everybody starts getting it because that's when all the work comes in. Right. Um, you know, the, this last little- the big I, push. This, this last little IGC and mm -hmm. it's a 10 second sequence and we need to create a stream. In that case, you know, we're not doing granular work. In that case, because it was the PS3 and we could stream stuff at that point, mm -hmm. um, you know, we're we're doing it in post-production. We're using Pro Tools to put the movie in there and create this mono stream that, that works for it. Oh, and at the same time, we're gonna create um, a half a dozen rock falls that they are going to use as a, as a spatial object mm -hmm. and put those behind the player, right? Mm. Or attach those to an object that's falling in the 3D world. So we, we ended up do, jumping in at the end um, and helping with stuff like that. So speaking of spatial, yeah. uh, at what point did you start to see the integration of spatial audio and it becoming a big deal over in, your, in, in the cycle of your career? Um, that's a great question. Uh, the first time I remember, well, the first time actually, I mean, if you count good old Dolby surround with mm -hmm. the, you know, the mono sure. band yeah. limited, you know, surround. Even ProLogic, right? Pro, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. It's okay. ProLogic. That's what exactly. I, all right. Um, ProLogic was, was a spatial mm -hmm. format, although mm -hmm. pretty limited. Um, and then ProLogic 2, that was, that was a big deal because now you had stereo in the back, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and it wasn't quite as band limited. Um, but the first time I really f heard something that that caught my attention and said, "This is high fidelity, and this is this is really compelling." Was the um, the EA Sports out of Canada it was EA Big, and they had um, the snowboarding game. Um, oh, I'm going to space on the name. Uh, Tricky? No, was it Tricky? The snowboarding game. <laughs> sure. Sorry, that's okay. I don't uh, remember it either. Um, Although I guess I could look it up here. We could look it up. I. I I'm uh -huh. spacing on the name of it. Um, it was very popular. Um, and the Canadians, they ended up getting a special engine. The, the PS2 came out and it had an optical out. It had a digital optical out. Not the SSX game. Yes, SSX. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's right. So SSX came out and the, the very talented EA Canadian folks, they worked with a special encoding of DTS. Mm -hmm. And they were able to do a quad mix of DTS and using the, the PlayStation... Um, the PlayStation 2 CPU, main CPU, they were able to do a live, real-time quad encode in DTS, which you could then decode. Um, and it sounded great. It absolutely was amazing. And that's when I kind of went, oh, this, I get it. I mean, to the point where, you know, it was it was literally, you're playing the game and there are people behind you and, you know, you could almost, in the right listening environment, you you look behind you. It, it sounded amazing. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that really got my attention. It's like, oh, yeah, the... The Dolby Pro Logic, it was it was cool, um, but it, it I never really bought it. Mm -hmm. It it didn't mm -hmm. really immerse me. Mm -hmm. And I remember that tricky using that that kind of just a four channel DTS was the first one that just went 
And what, what year was that? Was that early 2000? Oh, boy. That was probably early 2000. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think. Um, 2001, it was, maybe? It was definitely the yeah. PS2, mm-hmm. PS2 era. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So obviously, this has evolved <clears throat> substantially. Yeah. Uh, obviously, immersive sound and localized audio of that nature is a big deal in games. Yeah. It's a big part of gameplay, I'd say, now. You know, and Absolutely. Knowing where people are coming from, what's coming at you. Yeah. Uh, the ambiences, the environmental sounds, it, all of that. Such it, a big deal now. It's a big deal, and depending on the type of game, I mean, you know, there's, when I was at PlayStation, there were... Um, there were special modes, there were special mixes and, and headphones that Sony was trying to peripherals, they were trying to sell off. And the whole point of it was, hey, if you're playing a, a sneak around shooter, you, mm-hmm. know, you, you buy these headphones with this mix and you'll be able to hear that guy sneaking up on you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, depending on the type of game, it, it supposedly sells more games. Anyway, but it can be very important. Um, and not just from a, oh, that sounds cool perspective, but it, it it's from a, it's important from a gameplay. I, I want to win, mm-hmm. and I want every possible advantage to win. Right. Well, fast forward to yeah. today, and now obviously there's a lot more buzz around VR, yeah, uh, virtual reality that's making immersive audio so much more relevant and important, even still. Um, and of course, there's a lot of new tools out to support that. Of yeah. course, uh, many of the original players, Dolby, obviously, is a big player in this with Dolby Atmos. Right. Um, and I know you've been you've been playing around with these tools quite a bit now. You've been really doing some uh, fun experimentation. I know recently you uh, put together a blog for the Pyramind website. I did. Um, so I'd like to I'd love to just delve into that a little bit deeper right now because I think it's it's so super relevant um and i think the experimentation that you did was a lot of fun um obviously you can come uh, for those of you listening i'm referencing to uh, the peermind.com blog that you can find it's called mixing a track on dolby atmos facebook 360 and dear vr comparison um so what was the what was the uh, kind of motivation and or inspiration behind putting this particular storyline together um I'll, I'll let you tell it i think it's a lot of fun because i love the kind of the the way you kind of crafted the environment around this sure so <clears throat> so the the reality and and i'm trying to be an honest guy the reality is 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 I was at home, um, not as busy during the pandemic as I as I wanted to be. Sure, and um, but making good use of your time, trying to make good use of my yeah. time. Uh-huh. And so at some point, I I realized, you know, I I really want to become more familiar with the uh, the two big ears or the Facebook three hundred and sixty tools. And I'd done some uh, work at Dolby, so also was, Oculus, obviously for those who know correct. Oculus, right? exactly uh-huh. Oculus, yeah, uh-huh. the, exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And I'd done some work at Dolby and was familiar with the Atmos mixing system. And I had heard some great demos uh, from the Dear VR people. They, there's amazing demos. So I thought, well, how can I do this? And I thought, well, the, the, what I have at my disposal here is myself and my family and, and um, a few microphones. And uh, I'll just create, I'll just find, create some fiction. I'll, do, I'll come up with something to, uh, to give myself a vehicle, a platform to test these out on. And yeah. I figured it needed to be some type of sound design driven um, sound design driven story. And I wanted some event where it could be kind of a, um, a 360 degree, you know, element, um, you know, going through a portal or being underwater or something like that, Mm -hmm. where where I could, I could really try to put something behind you or below you or behind you. Or large ambient environment. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, and so somehow, some way in the middle of the night, I came up with this idea. Mm -hmm. What if, what if, 
you know, in the near future, there was a grocery store and their, their brand, their, their thing was we get you the freshest possible groceries because we actually teleport you out to the space where the, where the, the food is from. So you go <laughs> to the winery, you go to the, to the ice cream, you know, into the ice cream freezer and et cetera. Or the chicken coop. <laughs> exactly. And where that came from, I don't know, Greg, but uh-huh. at some point it was like, all right, well, let's, let's do this. What would you do? And it's like, oh, well, maybe you're driving home and you, oh, you know, like we've all done. It's like, oh, I got to go to the store. Uh-huh. Um, and so I came up with this thing and I did a, a quick, um, little short bit with just one one portal, one one trip out um, to to the to the egg farm, and um, I encoded it and I used the Facebook 360 tools because those are those are free and mm-hmm. they are available, and I hadn't really used them that much before, and I put it in Pro Tools and I did this little this little piece, this portal, um, and it kind of worked, and it's like okay, well that that portal gives me that that foundation, it gives me that that vehicle, that excuse to put those sounds around you to spin that thing around your head and to, to have that chicken fly over your head. Um, and that works. And then I thought, well, let's just keep, let's just run with this idea. And, and so then I, I gotta ask now, yeah. I don't mean to interrupt, but <clears throat> yep. was there like a little nod to back to the future here a little bit? It felt like it, mm-hmm. I don't know, with the Aston Martin, you're getting in an Aston Martin. Oh, so yeah. I, that for me felt had but, a little. But, but Back to the Future, that was a DeLorean. Oh, huh? darn, you're right. Yeah. It was a DeLorean. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, the sports car, the cool yeah, sports car. Yeah, I understand where yeah. you're going. No, okay. no, it wasn't actually. Uh-huh. I don't think that, that's a good good question. But no, I just came up with something that I that could help me, you know. Work yeah, frame with, this work out. With the of course. Fra- of course. Framework. That's yeah. the, right, the right term. Yeah. So I, I created this framework and I did the experiment with the, with the first one. And I said, okay, this works. Um, and then I. I literally wrote down, it's like, well, what other places can he go to? And it's like, well, what do you like, Ken? You know, it's like, oh, I like wine. Mm-hmm. Um, I like, I like ice cream, you know? Uh-huh. Oh, I like bread. Okay, let's, let's do that. Um, and so then I, I just fleshed it out. Um, and then I, I beat my, beat my family into submission, so to speak, and had them re- help me record some stuff. Um, and then again, the first one I did was with the Facebook 360 tools. And um, I still think that um, if, if I could sit down with somebody who was really an expert with those, who uses them a lot, uh-huh. I'd probably find some shortcuts. Yeah. Um, but I, I ended up doing it and, uh, you know, basically panning again, there were stereo, stereo elements that I had and I had to pan left and right individually for each, each one, oh, um, yeah. which was tedious. Well, now you recorded a lot of this on your yeah. own as well to set up the ambiences. I recorded all the voice on my own. Right. And well, I know I see the characters. You were the shopper. You're yep. the shopper. Yep. A friend of yours is the greeter. Your yep. wife was the PA announcer and your son was the checkout attendant. That's right. right? That's right. So I recorded those more traditionally um, <laughs> with like a mono, like a, like a short shotgun mic. Uh-huh. Um, and I recorded uh, some other, a few things like I think, oh no, the, um, I think the greeter and the wife, my wife, I recorded with my little um, M10, my little Sony M10. Um, but yeah, I recorded all that stuff just just in my house, uh-huh. um, and then processed them to to be up in the ceiling, like for the the announcements up in the ceiling, right? Uh-huh. Um, and then I recorded my voice um, in a very different way, and I didn't know it was I didn't know it was going to work, or you know what I gave it a try, and I had some old microphones, some of these really esoteric, really bizarre. Um, microphones called DSM microphones from Sonic Studios, uh-huh. which sadly is no longer in business. But the DSM microphone in Sonic Studios, they made products that were primarily marketed to concert goers. 
And it was a stealth way of recording concerts. It was it was aimed at the deadheads. Of course, of and course. so these these <laughs> tiny little microphones based on on the Sony the Sony ECM capsule. Although de- deadheads were actually there was always the taping section. That's true, and they didn't have to be. They so didn't. Stealth, they didn't have to unless be you didn't want to have to be in the taping section. You're right? so right. Yeah. I forgot about. But the taping certainly section. anybody else you'd want to go and record. That's right. right. If you were if uh-huh. you were trying to do it surreptitiously, you yeah. would put these little and and put them on a regular set of of your glasses. And they, they weren't really obvious. Yes, if you looked, you could see. It's like, why did that? Why does the guy have those little, those little round balls about marbles on the on the side of his his head? On uh-huh. his, but it wasn't noticeable. Anyway, you'd make these. He you sell these things, and you could get them in different um, uh, different levels of sensitivity. I bought mine primarily for recording ambiences. Uh-huh. So um, dynamic sensitivity, dynamic sensitivity, so that they would actually not distort at the at maximum the lower SPL. Ma- maximum right. So SPLs. the ones I bought yeah. were for you know recording ambiences, and I think their maximum SPL was like one ten or one hundred twelve. And there were other ones that you could go up to like one hundred forty. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to the rock concert, that's what you'd get. Sure. Um, and then this uh, uh, the the Sonic Studios man would sell you. God, what's his name? Doug. Can't remember now, but um. He would also sell you like a Sony DAP machine. Okay, yeah. And the Sony DAP machine had a special modification to its microphone input that would power these these microphones. Ah, so like a phantom power of sorts. Right. Uh-huh. So back to the the grocery trip, the, I basically recorded myself with those on my glasses. And what that gave me was this, not binaural, but this kind of spaced... Um, and only not binaural because they are not in your ear they're canals. Not, they're not right? in so my ear So technically to be binaural, they'd want to be, they, they'd want to actually reflect the hrtf uh structure of your head Correct. the physics of your head and ears Correct. right and, and that's a good point because this dsm microphone format if you will uh-huh. it's not really a i don't want to say legitimate but it's not a there is it's not a normal kind of format right uh-huh. the closest i can get to it it would be a spaced baffle omni and if you if you looked at multiple mic techniques it would be a spaced baffle omni mm-hmm. with your head as the baffle mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and it's not true binaural but it wasn't necessarily stereo. It still gives you kind of this, uh, this kind of almost an HRTF or a binaural feeling. And so I recorded. And for those myself, of you who don't know, HRTF head-related transfer, transfer function. function. Yeah, right, right. And again, that is that's the math and the and the the real-time DSP that um, has been developed over decades, mm-hmm. so that you know, on in real time, you can encode, you can filter and process and add you know reflections and delays to a sound to trick your brain into thinking it's coming from behind you or mm-hmm. below you mm-hmm. or, or both um and so that's what these tools you know the, that we talked about the dear vr dolby atmos um the, in using binaural and the uh, the facebook 360 that's what they're doing is they're using the all the hardware all the dsp that in your computer to fake your brain into thinking that that sound is actually coming from behind you and above you. Right, and hence the concept of a binaural mix that allows you to play that back on stereo headphones to simulate that immersive experience and not on surround speakers. That's right, and it's gotta gotta be on headphones. And Mm -hmm. and again, the the whole point, getting way back to to my goal, which is, a better storytelling tool, storytelling tool. Sure, right? sure, um, yeah. And that's and it is. If if you put those headphones on and you, you know, close your eyes and you concentrate it, I think it. You know, you're there sometimes. And I'm not saying that that my vehicle, my grocery trip uh, framework is is great. I'm I'm not a great writer, but but it, it served my purpose in this case to just create a, that framework so I can tell the story and use the tools. Yeah. Um. And and it was fun. It was fun to do. 
Yeah. Well, we're going to encourage our listeners to go check out the uh, the blog post so that they cool. can hear yeah. um, the different versions. Because you do three comparisons. <clears throat> Obviously, you mixed it in the three different tool sets. That's right. Dear VR, Atmos, and Facebook 360. That's right. Um, but what I'd love to do just for a moment here, I think it would be fun, is let's play a little of the uh, Dolby Atmos mix. Great. Uh, we're listening to it here in headphones. Right. And, and if you could just maybe even give us... Uh, a little narrative as we listen to it here, telling sure. us a little bit about your process and what we should be listening for more than anything. Sure, just to just to clarify, this is yeah. this is Dolby Atmos, and in the Dolby Atmos renderer, you can you can monitor in in binaural. It will do a real time binaural um, rendering yeah. of your Atmos mix, uh-huh. and then you can capture that. And so that's what that's what we're going to hear is the is the binaural render of the Dolby Atmos mix. Um, Okay. And then and then uh, I captured it and that's that's what we're hearing. All right, let's let's check it out a little sure. bit here. So this is a grocery trip. All right, let's check it out. In Dolby Atmos. The Aston Martin. There it is. Oh yeah, groceries. <laughs> Did I bring my list? Yep, yep, got it. Not the DeLorean. There it is, grocery <laughs> portal, right there. Oh, and a parking spot. Sweet. So again, I'm trying to be from my perspective. Of course, the, the car door opens on your left because we're in the United States, uh-huh. right? Uh-huh. If I'm in the driver's seat. Oh, I think I have my headphones reversed here. Oh there no, oh no! <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> Hello, welcome to Grocery Portal. Trip out to fresh food. Okay, first on the list, eggs, eggs, here we are. Uh, can I get a dozen? I love that. Pop left, I, pop right. <laughs> you don't want to. Is that think, a pop and a pluck? You don't. You don't want to think uh, about where think those one where those eggs are coming Thanks. from. <laughs> so again, that's that's the first portal. Uh-huh. Okay. Next, and next, next. Bread, bread. Nice. Hot and the bread. concept is, you know, the the, the portal has elements yes. of where it's Here going, right? Yeah. Hello? So, yes, sir. Sourdough. One loaf, please. So my, what I was trying to do there is create flame, create heat of some type of, of, of going into the bakery. Nice. Smells great. Oh, Thanks. right. So you're going to the bakery. There's an oven. You get the heat. Uh-huh. And then a lot of portal we swirling. And a lot, a lot of sci-fi swirling. Uh-huh. What's next? And that's my little uh, joke there. Probably nobody got that but me. Gallon. Rocky Road. Clean up in aisle 420. Uh, aisle 420. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. You're right. I should have gotten that. Oh, one. it's cool. <laughs> uh, hi, Rocky Road, please. Half gallon. Rocky Road, please. So they're scooping the ice cream Sweet. here. Is Thank that, you. Yeah. And again, there's there's the elements in the portal of cold wind. Oh, that's right. Groceries, portal to freshness. So each portal well, has elements list. of its destination uh, built that's into right. it. That's as right. you, yeah, of course, that makes there sense. Here's the wine. Mm-hmm. And liquid. Ah, ciao. Uh, Chianti, please. Something older this time? Ah, very nice. Grazie. Ciao. Is that a joke, too? I wasn't sure about the reference to something older this time. I, yeah. Vintage? Yeah, maybe maybe like I, like, it's right, too cheap last it. time. Okay. Checkout. Um, so, yeah. And then the checkout. Hello, sir. Did you procure everything you needed today? Uh, procure? Uh, every time. And will you be using portal pay today, sir? Ah, uh, yes, please. Can I interest you in a stasis bag today? Uh, not today. Thanks. Going right home. Have a nice trip. So, 
so yeah, the the portal pay was my kind of joke to like Apple Pay. Of okay? course, you know, you'd, you'd have uh -huh. your, your special portal, uh -huh. your portal key or yes, whatever that exactly. might be that got okay. you back and in and exactly. out. Exactly, that's how you're paying for it. And then you're going back out into the, the Aston, into the Aston, and not not the DeLorean, the right. Aston. There it is. And that's it. And driving away. And drive away. Uh huh. Thank you, Grocery Portal. Uh -huh. So, yeah. So, that was, what, three minutes and something? Yeah, three minutes and 21-odd moments and so, later. So, yeah. So, that was basically an opportunity to try the different uh, encoding tools. Again, those three. Um, and then... Um, and try and and just learn about them. That was mm -hmm. that was my whole goal, Greg. With this, was just of course. To, just yeah. What was your something. what was your biggest takeaway then um, after doing this project? That they all sound they all sound good in some ways. Um, uh, I liked, to be honest with you, I liked Dolby Atmos. I, I was familiar with it. I've done a few contracts working with John Luce mm -hmm. um, over over at Dolby and and great guys there. Oh yeah, what Eric, a team! Awesome Eric guys. And, and uh -huh. Everybody, they're so cool there. Yeah. So I learned a lot. So I was familiar with the process and the hardware. And I have to have to tell you, my my little Pro Tools rig there is just a just a Mac Pro, and um, I was pretty impressed that I could get the Dolby Suite and the renderer and everything running mm -hmm. in this native system. And I I saw no performance. I mean, it wasn't a massive project, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know how many tracks I had. It was probably twenty five tracks wide at its, at its most. But still, I had no troubles with the Dolby Atmos renderer or any of the tools mm -hmm. running on my little laptop. Um, so I enjoyed working with Dolby Atmos, and I thought their I thought their binaural renderer sounds great too. Um, so I liked that. Um, I really liked the Deer VR tools. I hadn't really worked with them that much. Uh -huh. um, they are based on basically it's mono elements. They they don't really understand anything but mono, and there's right. there's good reasons for that. And I think in the blog there's a link. There's a link. There to, is. I actually took a look at that and why it's uh, how spatial audio and channel based audio yeah. are different. They talk a lot about that and why stereo recordings and spatial audio yep. don't usually mix. Right. And for me, I, yeah. I understand. I mean, I think the usual might come from a diegetic standpoint. It's true. When you actually have a source audio in the spatial environment that might be stereo. Right. Um, but I think other than that, the majority of the time, mono audio is your friend right. in spatial because you're trying to place that sound. You want you want complete control. And, yeah. And the fact that you got multiple <clears throat> channels is we're not going to call it an impediment but it but you have to you have to you have to think about it you have to you have to make sure you're prepared for it yeah mm -hmm. mono is way easier for most of these yeah these tools yeah um but yeah but the deer vr stuff i i did enjoy it once i got my head around the the fact that it's mono no matter what um i thought their reverb sound really good their tool their every channel you basically have your your object and you can pan it and move it and and put it farther and you know closer to you. But they've also got. I, I was really impressed with the reverb presets. Mm -hmm. And and you could look at it and say, oh, but but they're presets and you know you don't have that much control. But you do have a little bit of control within each preset. Mm -hmm. And to my ears, the the reverb was high quality. They sounded great, especially the stuff with like um, small room early reflection stuff. I thought it, I mm -hmm. thought it was really effective. Mm -hmm. So does it do they give you uh, variables around uh, different textures or? surfaces i believe they do and how yeah. that because because that can uh, that plays a, such a huge factor I believe they do yeah I, th I think so i think i remember also that. that was the thing um you, you may not know this but when you work in binaural in dolby surround or in dolby atmos um there's also a uh, small medium large and none 
as far as presets mm-hmm. that you can do. And those are pretty effective too. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I played a lot with those, um, experimented. Cause I didn't, when I was working at Dolby, we were working in their wonderful rooms all on, you know, they're, they're the high quality monitors and the, and the calibrated systems. Um, so I hadn't really worked in binaural using the Dolby tools that much. And I played around with those a lot and that short, small, small, medium, or uh, near, medium, far, that those are the terms. And then non, um, really makes a big difference. And I played with that. So like, again, back to the portal, for example, some of those portal elements, those swishy, supernatural sci-fi elements, um, I had those um, in, in, the, in the far preset and I, I moved them closer and it was much more effective. Mm. Um, and, mm-hmm. and again, that's, that's- In terms of placement, imaging? In terms of imaging, it basically, uh-huh. it makes it feel like you're in a larger space. And I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna, a guess as to what how they're doing that but what I, the psychoacoustics but of I that think, are i think uh-huh. they're basically that you are they're putting those sounds in a room uh-huh and it's either a small room or medium room or, or a distant room and and for certain things you definitely wanted to put it yeah. in the distant room but and that's why the reverb settings are so important because that defines the room in many ways right yeah but you can then add additional reverb so so those those settings in the dolby atmos tool um they're kind of like it puts it in a room, but it's almost like the goal of it is to is to make that room disappear. It, it you need the room to to give you that sense that it's farther away or or closer. Mm-hmm. But you, it's not designed to be. It's it have a a subjective or a, a colored reverb. It's not like you're adding reverb to that to that snare drum for a, for an effect. It's more like you you're putting it in a room so that it feels like it's further from you and maybe it's not quite as present in the mix or, or it, you know, it serves a different purpose. It's not, it's not a, an, a sound that you want in the foreground. It's something that adds to the ambience. Right. So you, you tend to put that away. And uh-huh. anyway. So on this project in particular, did yeah. you, uh, did you use the, uh, the Sonic Studios DSM mics to, uh, to create the ambiences with? No, uh-huh. no. I okay. created all that with, with my sound effects library. Okay. Um, and basically took a lot of that stuff, um, like the stereo, just a stereo grocery store ambience for example uh-huh. and if i remember right um i think i just spread that i think i just kind of moved that um you know put that to the side i, I may have doubled it up um and put it behind me but basically i just opened it up instead of being you know hard left and hard right in a stereo mm-hmm. i kind of pulled it back so it was a, a bit more to the sides mm-hmm. and i think i added um a, a certain a reverb to it and, and bust that um to the rears i think mm-hmm so yeah, mm-hmm. most of, most of the sounds were were started either mono, or um, or some stereo content. So really, those DSMs were mostly for you, just from your your dialogue just and that, that perspective di- right. of hearing it from your perspective. Right. right, and I think it works in this case, which is great, like a first like a first person it experience. Was, it was mm-hmm. make it, it made it more like a first person experience. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know if you can hear it in the in the mix. Maybe in a couple of places, um, I tried to keep my head still when that when I was recording, but in a couple of places, I can. If I really focus, I can kind of, yeah. I can kind of get a small sense of head movement, uh-huh. which it's okay. It, uh-huh. it 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 doesn't take it away. No, I think it's great. I mean, I definitely get that first person perspective but out the, of this. When the I DSMs to are it. an interesting. It's uh-huh. an interesting format. Again, uh-huh. it's not a it's not a a valid format in some ways it, from from right. a traditional you know uh, miking technique, but. Um, it feels good to me in this, especially in this situation. Well, and we know HRTFs can be hit and miss because True. it's they're so personal. They're very personal, right? Yeah. So it's it's can be a little hit and miss in terms of your head to what headphones and 
and and if you listen to all three of these these mixes, and again, these are not each one of these because of the fact I was you know um, had to repan everything, and the Facebook was was different panning than the than the Dolby and and the Dear VR. I had to basically remix everything, mm-hmm. um, and so I tried to make the content and the mix levels as close as I could to each other. But there there are definitely differences, um, and not. Different, some differences in the mix, but of course also differences in the encoding. And just as you said, um, HRTF is a very personal thing based on the, the width of your head and the shape of your pinna and everything. So certain people, um, the let's just say the Deer VR just works better for them than anything else. It's like, okay, that's that's great. And, and it also depends on what headphones you're going to have on. So so it's it's not perfect. In a perfect world, you know, that HRTF would be encoding based on your ear shape and right. your head width right. and the headphones that you have on right and of course that's right now in our with our world and our technology that doesn't that doesn't exist maybe there'll be a day who knows maybe. when you you go into best buy and they do a hrtf measurement and... well there are there are some there is some software right now uh-huh. um their sony has their sony 360 tool that they came out i think it was two years ago at, at ces uh-huh. and they actually do have an iphone app or maybe it's an Android, but there's a phone app, uh-huh. and you literally take a photo of your ear uh-huh. that gets uploaded to some server somewhere, uh-huh. and it comes back to you with a custom HRTF that you then load into um, into the player. Oh, phenomenal! Which yeah, yeah is bizarre to me. Uh-huh. But they're they're doing. Yeah, I I don't I don't see us being far off considering the state of play these days with so much technology and and the rate at which it's developing. It's astounding to me. You know, if if they're only hold scanning, on to your hats. If they're only scanning the shape of your ears when you come into the store, then, <laughs> yeah. then I'm, I'm 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 comfortable with that. You know, I'm uh, an audio guy. You can sure, sure scan sc- my ear. scan my ears all you want. Stay out of my brain. Stay please. out of my brain. Stay <laughs> off of my face and that's my right. eyes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Ken, this has been super fun talking Good. with you it's about been this fun to stuff. Me too. And uh, I think what I'd love to do is I'm just going to close out here uh, for folks who may not be able to hit the blog. I'm going to close out with uh, the Deer VR version of uh, your grocery trip. Cool. So they can experience that from a binaural first person perspective. Great. And, and well, let me say, if there's, uh-huh. if there's anybody out there, I'm not sure if we can communicate it, you know, uh-huh. maybe they can, they can send an email or tech or however they want. Oh, to. sure. Yeah. But if anybody's got any additional venues, any additional ideas, yeah. Uh, again, this framework, as you, as you said, it was just yeah. a great description. Any su- framework suggestions for doing something like this again, maybe I'll use the same tools. Maybe I'll use some different tools, but if anybody has any fun suggestions on, uh, different different trips different whether it, you know maybe it's not a grocery trip anymore maybe the next trip is a vacation trip yeah. or a gas station trip or something i don't know right well it's also worth mentioning that ken you're a mentor on the pyramine mentorship right. network I'm excited about that and folks can uh, uh can actually book a, a consult or mentorship session with you if they want to learn more about this and and or really anything in the game audio world you're such a wealth of knowledge you know it's, you. it's amazing to uh to be able to talk with you about this and your experiences in the industry are are definitely deep and wide <laughs> that's true that's true it, it's yeah. been fun and, and thanks for inviting me of course it's absolutely been my pleasure and uh, yeah so let's check this out this is dear vr uh grocery trip with ken felton all right thanks everybody take thanks, care Greg. thank mm-hmm. you Love it. oh yeah groceries did i bring my list yep yep got it there it is grocery portal right there Oh, and a parking spot. Sweet.
Okay, first on the list, eggs, eggs, here we are. Uh, can I get a dozen? Uh, I think one more. Thanks. Okay, next, next, next. Bread, bread. Nice, hot bread. Yes. Here we are. Hello? Yes, sir. Sourdough. One loaf, please. Smells great, thanks. Clean up in aisle 420, please. Clean up aisle 420, again. What's next? A uh, pint of Rocky, half gallon, Rocky Road. There it is. Oh, it's cold. Uh, hi, Rocky Road, please, half gallon. Sweet, thank you. Oh, that's cold. Grocery portal to freshness. And last on the list, uh, red wine. There it is. Ah, ciao. Uh, Chianti, please. Something older this time? Ah, very nice. Grazie. Ciao. Right, that's it. Gotta check out. Hello, sir. Did you pour cure everything you needed today? <laughs> Every time. And will you be using portal pay today, sir? Ah, uh, yes, please. Can I interest you in a stasis bag today? Uh, not today. Thanks. Going right home. Have a nice trip. Thank you, Grocery Portal.